Hello, this is Robert Rickover at Body Learning, and today my guest is Cecile Raynor, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Boston, Massachusetts. She's uh, been teaching for almost 20 years now. She works with a wide variety of students, uh, ranging in age from 7 to 77, and she also has a uh, a special interest in the connection between the Alexander technique and some Al and the Al and an Alexander technique principle, sometimes called non-doing, and we'll describe that a little bit in a moment. And mindfulness. Um, Cecile, welcome to the show. Thank you. Welcome, Robert. Well, it's good to have you here. I wonder if you could begin by giving our listeners. Um, a very short description or definition of the Alexander Technique. Sure. Um, you know, all teachers have their way of explaining it, and often I explain that it's a, it's a mind-body approach to reclaiming effortless postural balance by freeing ourselves from harmful habitual patterns of body and mind. And I, and I focus on the body and mind because it's not just a body thing. <laughs> right. Well, and of course, F. Matthias Alexander, who's the guy who uh, started this work out 120 odd years ago, mm -hmm. uh, came to the, was almost forced into the conclusion or to an understanding that body and mind are really just two aspects of the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, um, you know, I think uh, when most people think of the Alexander Technique or most people who've heard of it or know someone who's taken lessons, it's usually in most in people's minds associated with helping people with things like back aches or stiff shoulders or carpal tunnel syndrome or that sort of thing, or helping performers like musicians or dancers or actors um, do their work more gracefully and more effectively. I don't think most people think of the Alexander technique, uh, at least initially, uh, as a, a tool for developing mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Is that your experience with your students as well? Yeah, yeah. In general, they 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 don't come for that. They come for back problem and 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 joint problem and and posture and that's what they come for. But they they end up getting a bit more than that. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> they do. And um, maybe it would be useful to before we get into how the technique relates to mindfulness to to talk about a term, a sort of a sort of a technical term uh, used by Alexander people called non-doing. Mm -hmm. Would you like to give a little description of what that means? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I know that when, when I trained, it was always, it seemed very uh, difficult to get a grasp of what that meant. But by now, um, I think it's not uh, really whether we are still moving or engaged with the world around us, uh, doing something in a non-doing way means uh, without excess tension, therefore without mental or physical grasping. That's how I would define it in the first stage mm -hmm. yes do, doing things as simply and easily and as you say efficiently as possible and not adding extra stuff 
to mm-hmm. the doing. Uh, I wonder if you could, it might be helpful to give a, a like a very simple example of how someone might, um, what the difference between doing and non-doing might be from an Alexander perspective for a, take take some simple activity like standing up from a chair or walking across the room? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, typically when I have uh, a new student uh, and we start getting in and out of the chair, um, their tendency is to push themselves up, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll push themselves up. Sometimes they might even use their hands and sometimes not. But one way or the other, there's that that's, uh, the m- muscles are like pushing or pulling or the, the, the skeleton up or in motion. And... My experience is that that is absolutely not necessary. We have a postural mechanism that if we uh, step out, out of our own way, they will. Um, we just have to have an intention of movement and the skeleton will, uh, along with the muscles, start moving, but they won't, they, there is no need for excess tension. And most people tend to add uh, more work to the motion than is needed. And I, I think that relates to what a person's preconceived ideas about what they have to do in order, for example, to, to stand up from a chair, mm-hmm. that there's almost a certain level of tension that they have already decided is necessary instead of being in the moment and using whatever amount of work effort is needed at that moment. Exactly. Yeah. And and one little things that I, I have them do right away to to show them that they don't necessarily need that is when they're standing, I ask them to, to, to keep their feet on the ground, but to, to shift their weight over one foot and then over the other and to notice how one of the foot, the foot for the, the torso, when the torso is above one foot, the foot starts spreading. Um, and, um, and I tell them that being grounded is feeling that, that spreading of the feet. But I point out to them that when only transferring the weight above the feet created that, they didn't have to push against the floor to create that. And so I tell them that, you know, getting up is something similar. You just transfer your weight above your feet and that combined with the intention of movement and it triggers the postural mechanism. People go up and it's often that wow experience of a first lesson. Yes, yes. When when someone notices that they can do something they've done zillions of times and they are suddenly doing it in a way that almost seems like they're floating exactly and of course they're still doing some work but they're just doing far less and the work they're doing is more uh more appropriate for whatever is needed at the very second that work is taking place yeah, and yeah. just to see to see that just in that with that that way of thinking the movement allowed them to have way more effortlessness then they realize they can keep going in that direction if they keep using their thinking um through their movement and so it's it's a, usually a good good start. <laughs> so um is would you say that the a, a primary connection between 
the Alexander technique on the one side, if you were to put it there temporarily, and mindfulness on the other, is that in order to use the Alexander process, you have to be in the moment with your own self-directing or your own thinking. Mm-hmm. I mean, it kind of, it's sort of mindfulness, at least initially, around very simple tasks. Nothing yes. very esoteric about Mm-mm. standing up from a chair or walking mm-hmm. across the room. Um, but I, I have a sense from from reading uh, some of the material that you've written mm-hmm. that it's your uh, your general take on it that that can then carry over into, let's say, bigger issues of oh, mindfulness. Absolutely. Maybe you could talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to me, the effortless, effortlessness we um, discover we can have with movement is also an effortlessness we can create in the way we live our life. And uh, some of it can be um more general and in, in in areas that people are not always interested in but some of them can be uh, um in areas that everybody has to deal with like how we deal with pain for example mm-hmm. you know and and um most people, when they experience pain, they, naturally they're going to tighten, you know. Mm-hmm. And, but um, if they're not aware in the in the the way we are, the Alexander way, um, we tend to tighten and we tend to guard, and then we cre- we complicate the problem, we enhance the problem um, to the point that it becomes a, a chronic problem. And just from from that, um, the tension created with the guarding and the fear of pain and 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 all of that. So, uh, becoming aware of all that, people have a choice. Then they have a choice of how uh, next time they feel pain, are they going to fight with it or are, are they going to be able to just notice that pain. Pain is not uh, is not your our enemy. Right. <laughs> pain, pain is just a fact of, of of life, and and if we can just take it as what it is, then we we are less likely to create mental pain to add to the physical pain. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I it kind of reminds me of an experience I had many many years ago, long before. Uh, encountering the Alexander Technique back when I was in university, mm-hmm. when I had a little cyst removed from my chest. Mm-hmm. It was like a, at the doctor's office, you know, they just removed it, a couple of stitches, and it was no big deal, but I noticed how I was tending to pull into that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought, well, that's interesting. I, you know, I didn't really go much further with that thought. But looking back on it and thinking about maybe even more severe uh, things of that kind, I could see how it wouldn't be hard if you weren't conscious mm-hmm. to develop a pattern of pulling in long after the stitches have been removed and everything is healed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that was like a little surgical intervention, but maybe some unpleasant emotional experience uh, or some uh, fearful experience that you might have would cause you to contract and then 
you know, years later, maybe if you take Alexander lessons, you'll discover you've been pulling yourself into yourself in a, in a, in an odd way. Yes, and, and, and I actually talk about that. Um, I explain to students that uh, some, some things will clear just from becoming aware of how we create trouble for ourselves, but, uh, but some, some, some aspects that are very intertwined with emotional, old emotional stuff might challenge us much more than something else. So we can evolve with the Alexander Technique in different ways depending on which problem we're dealing with and and our history with it. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Right. And so I guess a question that would come up in some listeners' minds is, uh, are you saying that uh, Alexander Lessons would be a useful tool if you are on some kind of a spiritual path or or some sort of mindfulness path, like perhaps doing um, some kind of mindfulness uh, practice? Practice your meditation. I know. I know that mindful. Uh, mindful practices seem to be kind of uh, much more talked about these days, and I notice it a lot even in medical circles now that pe- that mm-hmm. doctors are recommending that their patients maybe should uh, check out that form of meditation. Do you, do you see the Alexander technique as something that would enable you to be better at it? Yes, absolutely. In fact, um, I started with meditation before the Alexander Technique, mm-hmm. um, and um, it's uh, at the time I, I realized I, I had a very strong, active mind, like <laughs> most of us, I guess. But mm-hmm. uh, it was definitely in, in the way, and um, and when I started practicing meditation, actually, I came from a background of getting lots of mig- migraine headaches, and from uh, you know, the first week that I started meditating 20 minutes a, uh, a day, I st- and I was taking uh, medication for my headaches every four hours, and it wasn't even helping anymore. And f- the first week that I started meditating 20 minutes a day, I didn't even need anything, and I didn't have the headaches. So for me, that was really, the me- meditation is what started it all. But then I realized that... Um, uh, I, I felt like I needed even more than just in, in meditation. We focus a lot with, on breathing, you know, the, observing the breathing and all this, and uh, among other things. But um, I felt that the technique would give um, the technique has as a wider range of uh, mindfulness tools, if you will, because just you could be sitting in meditation and and just becoming aware of of where your sit bones are or or the contact of your feet with the ground or or you know you, you have so many uh tools to step in the present moment and you can um the alexander technique is often associated with movement but people forget that uh there's movement in space and there's inner movement and you could be in a meditation pose which requires and you're not moving in in space but you can release from the inside you can expand into yourself while you're sitting there so 
to me, uh, Alexander Technique helped my meditation practice. That's how, that's absolutely how it went. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it, we are always moving until we die. Yes. Um, <laughs> even if you're lying down and mm -hmm. doing nothing, there's all kinds of stuff going on inside you, hopefully. Yeah, a little, little bit of breathing and digesting yes. and so on. Mm -hmm. Um so um, do you, beyond, say, enhancing um, meditation practices or mindfulness practices, do you see any other ways that the study of the Alexander Technique has that kind of carryover to our, our mental states? Yes, uh the Alexander Technique helps us um, be more aware of whatever it is we're doing, whenever, and um, with um, with this practice of, of uh, trying to witness the non-thinking part of our mind, which, you know, in everyday life we are all involved with that, what the Buddhists call monkey mind, that mind that just doesn't stop. And in, in meditation, you discover that you can be aware of the non-thinking part of the mind. Um, and so when you have that experience, um, it helps you um, practice what we call in Alexander inhibition when we are in our uh, everyday life. When we're talking with somebody um, and this is something we don't like, um, instead of tightening, or even let's say we tighten, we're going to become aware that we're tightening and we can choose to let go. And that's going to affect the interaction we have with that person. And so um, so it really sips through our everyday life in very... Uh, the technique is both subtle and very powerful. And so the way that awareness, uh, as it's developed, can seep into everybody's life is also very subtle and very powerful. And I've had lots of students who felt like the Alexander Technique changed their lives. And I have students who went on to become teachers. And <laughs> so uh, it, it, it can really profoundly affect one's uh, quality of life. Yes, and, and it's probably worth mentioning that the Alexander term, inhibition, uh, has nothing to do with the Freudian uh, version of inhibition. Yes. Uh, which is, you know, I think as Freud used it, it was about repression. Mm -hmm. And as Alexander used it, it's just about very gently saying no to stuff you don't want. But you're not trying to push it away. You're just, exactly. You're just directing yourself gently in a different direction. Um, it's too bad because Freud came second but uh you know his his version has sort of uh has sort of taken hold in the popular mind uh cecile is there anything we haven't touched on that you think would be uh, useful to say on this general topic um the only little uh, detail, which is not even the general thing, but um, I, I still have a paper to write about non-doing and, and, and delivering a baby. <laughs> oh, uh, yeah. yeah, because I, I, had a I have two sons, and I studied the technique in between the two, and the experience was incredibly different. And the main difference was uh, was that, that quality of non-doing and not 
and non-reactiveness. You know, I feel like the technique is a way, it teaches us to respond to life instead of react to life. And in the situation of delivering a baby, to me, it made a world of difference. When, when a contraction came, I was able to release instead of fighting with it and it completely changed my experience so uh i just wanted to mention that because it, 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 just to show how the technique can be applied to any activity uh and anything really uh in in our life in including uh doing nothing yes <laughs> um, it, uh, when you're lying in bed you can use it i i have to say uh, i i mentioned that because uh, I've been teaching now for about 30 years, and it's really only been in the last maybe year or so that I've started to notice little internal pulls in my head um, mm-hmm. that would come up when I even thought about saying something or uh, moving my jaw that I had never been aware of before. Mm-hmm. They were incre- they're incredibly subtle, but mm-hmm. they certainly uh, managed to interfere with the natural flow of things. So... I guess that's another aspect of the technique, which is that it, it really is like peeling layers off an onion. You you may mm-hmm. have some very obvious uh, postural or movement issues that the technique will help you uh, more or less resolve. But then you discover there's something else a little more subtle underneath them. And you could really, if you wanted to, I guess, devote your life to... Um, to uh, uncovering those patterns and learning how to release them. Mm-hmm. So anyway, this I think this would be a, a good place to to bring our uh, conversation to an end. Uh, my guest uh, today has been Cecile uh, Raynor, who is an Alexander Technique teacher in Boston. She's been teaching there about 20 years. Um, If anything that we've been talking about um, appeals to you or interests you, we'll put a link to her website by the interview. And if you're in the Boston area, you might want to contact her. And uh, should you happen to be anywhere else in the world besides Boston, we'll put a link to a website where you can learn more about the technique and locate a teacher in your area. Cecile, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.